0: Following a transcript. From atop the Lowest State Theatre building. (laughs) Colossal, (laughs) tremendous. (laughs) WHP. Tales of intrigue, adventure, and the mysterious occult that will stir your imagination and make your very blood run cold. This is Dark Adventure Radio Theater, with your host, Erskine Blackwell. Today's episode, H.P. Lovecraft's The Call of Cthulhu.
1: A random murder in a public park. An artist wracked by fantastical and haunting dreams. A police inspector confronting the depraved rites of a voodoo cult. Intrepid sailors, pitted against a diabolical monstrosity, risen from the bottom of the sea. And one man, doomed to understand that such things foretell madness and the end of mankind. hmm Nothing like a marvelous meal prepared by an expert chef. But did you know, those delicious creamy foods can lead to gum irritation, Vincent's disease, and even pyorrhea? But if you brush morning and night with Forehands toothpaste, you need not worry about these serious medical conditions. Forehands is the only dentifrice made with zithronite, a powerful agent to stimulate and protect your gums. So go ahead, eat like a king, but make sure you brush with Forehands. Ladies and gentlemen, Algernon Blackwood, the great British author of Weird Fiction, once wrote, Of such great powers, or beings, there may be conceivably a survival. A survival of a hugely remote period when consciousness was manifested, perhaps in shapes and forms long since withdrawn before the tide of advancing humanity. Forms of which poetry and legend alone have caught a flying memory and called them gods, monsters, mythical beings of all sorts and kinds. And now, Dark Adventure Radio Theater presents H.P. Lovecraft's The Call of Cthulhu. Prologue. Found among the papers of the late Francis Whalen Thurston.
2: Come on, get these people back. They'll disturb my crime scene. Hey, get back, you. Now make way. Evening, Detective Mallory. Another Monday night in Boston,
3: eh, Sergeant Hale?
2: What do we got? Some uptown blue blood from the looks of him. Probably another robbery. Single quick stab wound between the ribs. What do you think, Mallory? Maybe a real sharp knife? A hell of a way to lose your wallet. Anybody see anything? Yeah, we got a neighbor. You! The detective wants a word with you.
4: I didn't see nothing.
2: Look here, you told me you saw him here in the park from your window. Well, I saw that. What else did you see? Well,
3: I, I didn't, I mean.
2: If we do not rise
3: and seize the moral high ground, soon there will be no ground left at all. Who said that? I did. Now, what'd you see?
4: He, he the, uh, was, you know, was just standing there by himself, and then this man walks up to him. What's he look like? Big, about uh, his size, dressed kind of like a sailor, a negro, one of those, uh, dark pea coats. And this sailor, what does he do? He just walked up to him like he was gonna ask him for a smoke or something. Then what? I told you, I didn't see nothing. I, I was doing the dishes. I looked down, and when I looked back up, the Negro was gone. That's it? Yes. I, I saw the expression on the, uh, the dead guy's
3: face. He looked so scared.
2: Being stabbed will do that to you. No,
3: no, no. no it wasn't like that. His, his face. I mean, I, I just i never saw someone so scared. All right. Sergeant will take your information. Okay, buddy. Let's see if you got anything on you we can use to ID you. Well, oh. I'll be... Guess it wasn't a robbery after all. Nick, he's still got his billfold with cash in it. Really? Who is he? Francis Whalen Thurston.
5: So, Francis Whalen Thurston, what's your story? Right this way, officers, into the elevator. So, Mr. Jabley, do you know Mr. Thurston Long? Oh, certainly. Let's see, he moved into my building just before the war. It'd be around 1916.
2: And what kind of fellow was he?
5: He was, well, in the beginning, he was really a model tenant. And that's not to say he was a problem later. It's just that he went through a hard time. Yeah, uh, how so? Uh, There was a death in the family. Right this way, it's uh, this door, 60. Who died? Uh, Some elderly relative. He took it hard. He traveled for quite some time. He was never the same after that. what was wrong with him? Oh, I don't know. He he seemed nervous. uh, Skittish, like he didn't get much sleep. Well, here you are. This is his apartment. Uh, Should I... We'll close up when we're done. (laughs) It's very sad. He was a nice man.
2: They always are. What
3: do you make of it, Nick?
2: Hmm. Rich. Doesn't work. No women, few friends, too many books. (laughs) Paranoid. What makes you say that? Expensive lock in the door.
3: Installed locks on the windows, too. What were you afraid of, Mr. Thurston? Hale, what do you make of this?
2: Hmm. Custom cabinet work. Expensive. And hollow. Let's see. How do you open?
3: (laughs) Bingo! It's a secret cupboard. Ah, and a metal lockbox in it.
2: Ah, beans. Some kind of weird
3: old lock. We'll take it down to the station, see if any of the keys on his ring fit in. Looks like our Mr. Thurston had a secret he wanted to protect. Can I call it or what?
2: Thurston's key ring. Catch. What, you think this weird-looking key is going to fit in the... That looks like just a bunch of old papers and notes. And here's a thing wrapped in cloth. Looks like a piece of ceramic. Hand me
3: that journal. Huh. Looks like Thurston wrote this. The most merciful thing in the world, I think, is the inability of the human mind to correlate all its contents. We live on a placid island of ignorance, in the midst of black seas of infinity and it was not meant that we should voyage far. The sciences, each straining in its own direction, have hitherto harmed us little. But someday the piecing together of dissociated knowledge will open up such terrifying vistas of reality and of our frightful position therein that we shall either go mad from the revelation or flee from the light into the peace and safety of a new dark age. Yikes. What, was he an English professor? There's more. To me, there came a single glimpse of forbidden eons, which chills me when I think of it and maddens me when I dream of it. That glimpse, like all dread glimpses of truth, flashed out from an accidental piecing together of separated things.
2: Sounds like something they'd print in a pulp magazine. He only started writing this
3: about a month ago. Whatever. He's a crackpot. Forget it. No. I want to know who he was afraid of. Part One. The Horror in
1: Clay.
6: I, Francis Whelan Thurston, attest that my knowledge of the thing began in the winter of 1926-27 with the death of my great uncle, George Gamal Angel, Professor Emeritus of Semitic Languages in Brown University, Providence, Rhode Island. He was an authority on ancient inscriptions, and had frequently been resorted to by the heads of prominent museums. He was ninety-two when he passed. Right. His building super said there'd been a death. He had been stricken whilst returning from the Newport boat, falling suddenly, as witnesses said, after having been jostled by a nautical-looking negro who had come from one of the queer dark courts on the precipitous hillside. After some debate, his physicians concluded that some obscure lesion of the heart, induced by the brisk ascent of so steep a hill by so elderly a man, was responsible for the end. At the time, I saw no reason to doubt their findings. But
3: now... Sounds like we got our first clue. What would be the odds of two Negro sailors?
2: Yeah. Let's get the mug books. Hold on.
6: Would you let me read? He died a childless widower, and I was named his heir and executor. To settle his affairs, I moved his files and boxes to my quarters in Boston. Among them all, there was one box which I found exceedingly puzzling. It was locked, and I did not find the key till it occurred to me to examine the personal ring which the professor carried in his pocket. Isn't this striking you as kind of creepy? There was a queer clay bas-relief and a collection of disjointed jottings, ramblings, and newspaper cuttings. This clay sculpture was clearly not one of the
3: ancient pieces he so often studied. That must be this thing. It's got a crazy design on one side of it.
6: The bas-relief was a rough rectangle, less than an inch thick and about five by six inches in area. Its designs, however, were far from modern in atmosphere and suggestion. The bulk of these designs seemed to be some sort of writing, but I'd never seen anything quite like it. Above these apparent hieroglyphics was an impressionistic figure. It seemed to be a sort of monster, or symbol representing a monster of a form which only a diseased fancy could conceive. If I say that my somewhat extravagant imagination yielded simultaneous pictures of an octopus, a dragon, and a... Human caricature, I shall not be unfaithful to the spirit of the thing. A pulpy, tentacled head surmounted a grotesque and scaly body with rudimentary wings. But it was the general outline of the whole which made it most shockingly frightful. Behind the figure was a vague suggestion of a cyclopean architectural background.
3: Cyclopean? Huge stone blocks, assembled without mortar. This is definitely your kind of guy. Clearly, he's describing the figure on this clay thing.
2: I don't know. It's a lot of fancy words for this piece of junk. Here, there's more. Aside from a stack
6: of press cuttings, there were notes in Professor Angel's hand. The main document was a manuscript divided into two sections, the first of which was headed 1925 Dreams and Dream Work, and the second, Narrative of Inspector John R. LaGrasse. The other manuscript papers were brief notes. Some of them, accounts of the queer dreams of different persons. Some of them, citations from theosophical books and magazines. And the rest, comments on long-surviving secret societies and hidden cults. The cuttings largely alluded to outré mental illness and outbreaks of group folly or mania in the
3: spring of 1925. Mental illness? Birds of a feather. Here's the dreams and dream work folder. Something tells me this isn't going to be a normal case. Mm,
6: You can say that again. It really began with a visit Professor Angel received from a young man on March 1st, 1925.
7: Yes? May I help you? I certainly hope so. Henry Anthony Wilcox, sir. My card.
8: Ah, yes. You're Nathaniel Wilcox's son, no? Let's see. You'd be the youngest. Yes, sir. Well, come in. Come in out of the rain. (laughs) Let me take your coat, Mr. Wilcox.
7: Henry, please. Thank you for seeing me, sir. I would have called to make an appointment, but this is something that simply could not wait. Oh, dear.
8: Well, then, sit. Sit down. Am I remembering right you're an artist? I
7: am, sir, yes. A sculptor. And I have rather an urgent need of your expertise in things ancient and archaeological. I'm happy to... This. This piece here. It has a kind of hieroglyphic script. I beseech you, tell me what ancient and forgotten tongue it is. Do you understand it? What does it mean? My dear young man, this tablet isn't ancient. Clearly it's quite new. It is new indeed, for I made it last night in a dream of strange cities... And dreams are older than brooding Tyre, or the contemplative Sphinx, or garden-girdled Babylon. You felt the earthquake, no? Night
8: before last. Oh, yes. Haven't had an earthquake like that in New England for a long time. I read they felt it as far away as Wisconsin. It
7: affected me quite strongly. Not the shaking so much, but after it... I dreamt of great otherworldly cities of titan blocks and sky-flung monoliths, all dripping with green ooze and sinister with latent horror. Hieroglyphics covered the walls and pillars, and from some undetermined point below came a, a sound unlike any I have ever heard. I see. I didn't hear it really so much as... Yes, perhaps you... It was a voice, you understand, but not a voice, calling out to me. Mr. Wilcox. It was a chaotic sensation which I suppose only fancy could transmute into syllables. It... it said... Yes? It said...
8: Go on. Cthulhu. (gasps) Are you all right, sir?
7: What did you say? Of course, there's really no way to say it. It was really more like a feeling than
8: like words. And this this piece you sculpted, this is what you saw? What made the sound in the dream? There was more. So
7: much more. But yes, that's where it came from. And those words.
8: People. Were there people? Some kind of cult? A what? Worshippers. A secret society. Voodoo. No. No
7: people, just the buildings and the writing and that thing.
8: It's all right, Henry. You can tell me if you're a member of a, shall we say, unorthodox religious group? No, I'm an artist.
7: Your secrets are safe here. What are you talking about? I tell you, I dreamed it, and then I made this. Henry. It means something, doesn't it? The
8: writing should have recognized it.
7: You know what it is. What does it mean? It's all so real, I've never had
8: a dream like it. And you're certain, absolutely certain, you know nothing about a cult? Nothing. And this thing you sculpted, the writing, you'd seen none of it prior to your dream? No. Henry, this is most important. Would you be willing to record your dreams? Everything you can remember. Write them down, draw pictures, anything, and bring them to me? Yes, I can do that. But why? What does this mean? I can't be certain just yet. Tomorrow. Will you come back tomorrow and tell me what you've dreamed? Yes, I suppose.
6: Over the course of the following month, my uncle recorded Wilcox's daily visits. Every night he was racked with fantastical dreams of the Nightmare City. It was always some terrible megalithic vista of dark and dripping stone, with a subterranean voice or intelligence shouting monotonously in enigmatical sense impacts, uninscribable save as gibberish. The two sounds most frequently repeated were those rendered by the letters C-T-H-U-L-H-U
3: and R-L-Y-E-H
2: get a lot of that. I'll say it's gibberish.
3: Yeah. I I, I don't know how you're supposed to say it. Uh, Don't don't
2: bother trying.
6: On March 23rd, Wilcox failed to appear as expected, so my uncle sought him out at his studio.
2: May I help you?
8: I'm looking for Henry Wilcox. We had an appointment, and he didn't...
2: Oh, he's gone to the hospital. He fell ill
8: last night. Hospital? Some sort of fever. He cried out in the night and alarmed several other artists in the building. I called his father and he and Dr. Toby came by and took him to the hospital this morning.
6: My uncle telephoned Dr. Toby.
3: Henry's been plagued with hallucinations and nightmares. Poor lad's feeble mind is dwelling on strange things.
8: What? What things?
3: Odd, morbid things. Lately he's taken to speaking of a gigantic thing. Miles high, which uh, walks or lumbers about through this dead city. Most peculiar.
8: Does it have a name?
3: No, I haven't noticed in naming it, but uh, after he speaks of this giant creature, he invariably falls into a state of lethargy. I'm sorry, Professor Angel, what's your interest in all this?
8: Henry sought me out to consult with him about some... a piece he sculpted. Would it be all right if I paid him a visit?
3: And I suppose the sight of a friendly face wouldn't do him any harm, but um, well, he shouldn't be indulged in these gruesome reveries. His temperament is excitable enough, as it is.
8: Uh, of course. I understand.
6: My uncle visited Wilcox on several occasions, but the youth drifted in and out of potent delirium. Then, on April 2nd, at about 3pm, that all changed.
8: Henry, easy there, lad. Henry? Yes? Can you hear me? Of course. Where am I? You're in Providence General Hospital. Am I sick? I don't feel sick. You fell ill. They thought it was a fever. You had dreams. Nightmares. Nightmares. Do you remember any of that? Dreams? No. How long have I been here? Well, March 22nd to today. That's 11 days. Why are you here? Henry, you and I have been discussing your dreams. Dreams of a sunken city? Did we? I don't recall. You mean to tell me you don't recall any of your dreams? Anything we discussed? Sorry, but no.
6: My uncle arranged to see Wilcox a few more times, but from that point on, the young artist was of no further assistance to Professor Angel. All traces of strange dreaming vanished with his recovery. After
2: a week of pointless interviews, my uncle no longer saw him. Well, this is going nowhere, Jack. Why are we wasting time on this pointless story of yours? It's
3: not my story. It's the victim's. And the story's not done yet.
6: My uncle's files contained countless notes describing the dreams of other people as well. He had instituted a far-flung body of inquiries amongst a great many friends, asking for nightly reports of their dreams. Many New Englanders gave an almost completely negative result, though scattered cases of uneasy but formless nocturnal impressions appear occasionally between March 23rd and April 2nd, the period of young Wilcox's delirium. Scientific men were little more affected, though four cases of vague description suggest fugitive glimpses of strange landscapes, and in one case there is mentioned a dread of something abnormal. It was from the artists and poets that the pertinent answers came. I suspect panic would have broken loose had they been able to compare notes. From February 28th to April 2nd, a large proportion of them had dreamed very bizarre things. The intensity of the dreams being immeasurably the stronger during the period of the sculptor's delirium. Over a fourth of those who replied reported scenes and half-sounds not unlike those which Wilcox had described, and some of the dreamers confessed acute fear of some gigantic nameless thing visible toward the
2: last. He's not kidding. The old man typed it all up and indexed it. He's as nutty as Thurston. They're both a heads. And look here. <laughs> There's hundreds
3: of newspaper clippings. Um, a, a, a suicide in London. Something in Spanish from Argentina. <laughs> a theosophist cult in California. Voodoo orgies in Haiti. Mental asylum revolt in Ohio. Native unrest in India. <sighs> All February to early April. You've got to admit it's weird.
2: Sure it's weird, but it's a coincidence.
3: Uh,
2: Right? Right, Jack? I don't know.
3: Mr. Thurston says here, now I can scarcely envisage the callous rationalism with which I set them aside.
1: Part 2 the Tale of Inspector LaGrasse.
2: Come on, Jack! An has some scary dreams and some cult in Haiti has a voodoo ritual at the same time. Probably happens every day. What's the big deal?
3: Sounds like Thurston's thinking the same thing. The implications
6: of my uncle's research were not immediately clear to me. Why had he taken such keen interest in the dreams of Wilcox and the others? Once before, it appears, Professor Angel had seen the hellish outlines of the nameless monstrosity, puzzled over the unknown hieroglyphics, and heard the ominous, unpronounceable name. This previous experience had taken place in 1908, 17 years earlier, when the American Archaeological Society held its annual meeting in St. Louis.
4: So I took it back from the Associate Curator and said, With a beard like that, it must be (laughs) (laughs) Neo-Arcadian.
8: I'm going to the bar. Who needs another? I wouldn't say no. Count me in.
3: (laughs) Say, George, who's that fellow over there
8: by the door? I don't recognize him. I'll find out. You look lost. May I be of some assistance? George Gamel Angel, Professor of Semitic Languages, Brown University. Much obliged, Professor.
9: John Raymond LaGrasse, Inspector of Police, New Orleans. That's quite a distance to travel, Inspector. You're not here chasing a suspect, I hope? No, sir, I'm not. I came hoping I might find someone here qualified to help us with a piece of evidence.
8: Evidence? You have an artifact of some kind? Yes, sir, I believe I do. Some of the best minds in American archaeology are here at the conference. I'm sure one of us can shine a light on it. Do you have it with you? It's here in my valise. Why don't you step into this study and I'll invite a group of my colleagues to join us. And may I bring you a drink? Much obliged, sir. Bourbon, straight up. May I introduce Professor Bell, Columbia University? At your service. Professor Quintana, University of Chicago. How do you do? Professor Henning, Harvard. Good evening. And this is William Channing Webb, Professor Emeritus, Princeton University. Sir. Gentlemen, this is Inspector Lagrosse of the New Orleans Police Department. Uh,
5: George here says you're having a hard time identifying a piece, Inspector. Let's have a look, and we'll see what we can make of it. I have a magnifying loop.
8: Uh, here it is. Oh, oh, great Scott. I'll be. Where did it come from? We recovered
9: it some months ago in the wooded swamp south of New Orleans. It's some kind of idol or uh, fetish. Recovered it?
6: Where did you find it?
9: On a raid. We were expecting some kind of voodoo meeting, but this was a cult unknown to us. Far more diabolic than even the blackest of the African voodoo circles. I've seen some strange things in my time, you can imagine, but nothing like this.
3: I should think,
9: I showed it to some of the men at Tulane, but they were stumped. They suggested someone here might recognize the
8: figure or the writing on it. May I? Of course. Let's see. I make it about eight inches tall. It would appear to depict a creature perching or squatting on top of a pedestal of some kind. The monster has a vaguely anthropoid outline. Uh, but
3: with an octopus like head. I mean, that face is a massive
8: feeler. The body seems scaly or rubbery. It looks rather bloated. The hind and forefeet have prodigious claws. Would you say those are wings folded up along the back? Yes, long, narrow wings behind.
5: Well, it's surprisingly lifelike for something that seems so ancient. It's sculpted in. Well, it feels a bit like soapstone. Do
6: you
8: see there's little iridescent flecks and striations? Mm. The writing along the base... It doesn't resemble any language I've ever seen. It certainly looks old, The
3: aesthetic, the, the style... I mean, it doesn't fit with any artistic tradition, I know.
8: I've never
6: seen anything like it. I have.
8: You have? William, you've never... I'll never
4: forget it. Summer, 1860. We'd been looking for Viking runes in Iceland and Greenland. We were high on the west coast and encountered a singular tribe of degenerate Eskimo. They practiced a curious form of devil worship, bloodthirsty and repulsive. Now the other Eskimo, decent folk really when you get to know them, they knew little of this tribe and said their ways had come down from horribly ancient eons before the world was made.
9: What did they do?
4: Besides nameless rites and human sacrifices, there were certain queer hereditary rituals addressed to a supreme elder devil or Tornosok. They had a fetish of it, a tupolac, a carven walrus tusk which they cherished and danced around when the aurora leaped high over the ice cliffs. It was a very crude rendering, but it was this same thing complete with the hieroglyphic writing on it.
9: These people, did they speak of a creature? Did they give it a name?
4: A name. I don't know about that. I witnessed one of their rites, they did. Unspeakable things to a victim captured from another tribe. By day, this band spoke Kla'aisut, like the rest of the Eskimo, but their ritual, it was conducted in another tongue entirely.
9: Do you recall anything they might have said?
4: Yes, by God. Though I wish I could forget it. There's one phrase they chanted over and over again.
9: if I know what it means. Uh, I can tell you that. It means, in his house at Raleigh, dead Kahulu waits dreaming. What? How do you know? One of the mongrel prisoners we captured on the raid. I suppose it's only fitting I should tell the full story. A desperate man came to my office on November 1st, 1907. I ain't going nowhere till you listen to me. Hush
1: you! Y'all sit
9: down and wait your turn. What seems to be the problem here, Galvez? I don't want to hear Sir, I beg you, we need your help, sir. What exactly do you need help with, Mr... Thibodeau. I know it sounds crazy, sir, but there's some voodoo
1: cult to work out our way, and they're doing terrible things. We had animals, good hunting hounds, go missing the first, and now this thing's gone missing since the tom-toms started to beat out. Now we got
9: women go missing, and two children, too. Voodoo, huh? Well, where's all this happening? You know, the low country, my south of Sheffield Lagoon. I've been down that way. Now, what makes you think it's voodoo? Me and
1: Burke, we, we followed the drums to see what they got up to out there. Land's bad, ain't no hunting out there. And we got in just closer and heard them shrieking and chanting, calling up the devil his health. I ain't a man of fear to much, sir, but I tell you, them's the sounds I don't ever want to hear again. How
9: many you reckons out there?
1: Maybe two score, maybe more. I hard to know because they was shouting like they was crazy. Hmm. Please, sir, we ain't folks to normally traffic with the law, but this against the laws of nature. We need your help, sir, women and our children.
9: So 20 of us set out late that afternoon with Thibodeau as our guide. It's more of a trail than a road down that way. We took our auto and some horses and a buckboard wagon we could use as a makeshift paddy wagon if needed. The trail was long and wet. At length, the squatter settlement, a miserable huddle of huts appeared before us.
1: It's all right, y'all. This is Mr. LaGrasse. He, he brought me in to help us.
8: he you cuts to do something.
2: They don't took our Mirabel. He's
8: doing all your things out there with blood. Hear them. Hear them drums. That's
2: where they're doing their hoodoo. It's worse than hoodoo. He's trafficking with
1: Beelzebub himself. Help us. Someone's gotta do something. Go shoot ever last one of them
10: demons.
9: All right, calm down now and we'll
10: Sir. Did you hear that?
9: I did. You men get in Formation 2 abreast. Now which of you will lead us to the place? Come now, we'll protect you. What, none of you will go there? No, sir. I've
6: been there once and seen their devil ways I ain't a-goin' back, not for nothing.
9: Very well. How do we find it?
1: There's a trail. Start out there to the southeast. The drums and the glow of the fire will lead you there from there.
9: Quietly, men. And have your weapons at the ready.
6: Keep an eye out for gators.
2: Never been out this way before, why?
4: Wow. Who'd want to? Out past where these squatters is, ain't many white men come out this way. There's legends. It's a haunted place, evil. Haunted? They say there's a lake. Ain't no man seen it. They say there's a huge white monster sort of thing with glowing eyes lives in it. Oh yeah? Yep. And the bat winged devils come out of the caves at night and worships it. Been there ever before the Indians come here. They say no man who's seen it lived. And if you get too close, it starts saying things to you in your dreams.
10: Okay, okay, I, enough. I don't want to hear anymore.
9: I didn't even get to the really bad part. Shh. I reckon we should be able to see him just beyond that break in the trees. Quiet now. Uh. I reckon you'd have to be a poet or a madman to really describe the noises we heard as we approached the red glare and muffled tom-toms. I didn't know a man could to howl and bray and squeal like some kind of rabid beast. But these people there, naked, carrying on, whipped them into such a fury, well, I'd never seen anything like it. And I dearly hope I never will again. Merciful Jesus. Inspector, there's too many of them.
10: What is that noise? I swear I hear wings flapping. Quiet, keep moving.
9: And then we heard the chant. That very same chant, Professor Webb. <laughs> My men and I reached a spot where the trees thinned enough that we could see for ourselves.
1: Jesus, Mary and Joseph.
9: A few reeled, others fainted. We were hypnotized by the horror of the scene. A grassy island, clear of trees, rose up out of the swamp. And on that island leaped and twisted an indescribable horde of human abnormality, naked. They braved, bellowed, and writhed about a monstrous, ring-shaped bonfire. In the center stood a great granite monolith some eight feet in height, on top of which rested this very statuette. Circling the monolith were crude scaffolds, and hanging downward from each one of these, we saw the bodies of the helpless squatters who had disappeared. They had been—well, the cultists had done unspeakable things to them, you understand. The worshippers jumped and roared and chanted between the Ring of Bodies and the Ring of Fire. In truth, the horrified pause of my men was brief, and although there must have been nearly a hundred mongrel celebrants, we were armed and ready to take action. A ferocious confrontation. A few worshippers were slain outright, more were wounded. In the end, my men took a full 47 prisoners. I personally removed the idol and carried it back to the police station. The prisoners proved to be of a very low and mentally aberrant type. Most were seamen, with a sprinkling of Negroes and mulattoes, largely West Indians or Brava Portuguese from the Cape Verde Islands. Of course, we tried to question them. But few were willing or able to give rational responses. Ah! You. What's your name, old man?
4: I am called
9: Castro. All right, Castro. Now tell me, what is this god you worship? <laughs> Speak English, you understand me?
4: <laughs> it is... The Great Old Ones we worship. The what? The Great Old Ones. They live many ages before men, and they will live again. Their dead bodies told secrets and dreams to the first men. And they formed a... a, What is
9: your English word? (laughs) A a church that cannot die. Your church has died, Mr. Castro. My men killed it. (laughs) Your man. Our church
4: has always been and will always be. It will hide in the far and dark places of the world until the time when the great priest, Cthulhu, from his dark house in the mighty city of Relya under the water shall rise and bring forth the Great Old Ones. The time is
9: coming. It will be soon. <laughs> great Old Ones, eh? Up from under the sea? From the sea. From the sky.
4: From beyond the spheres. When the stars are right, they plunge from world to world, and they bring their images with them. Is this one of their images? Is it? No man has seen the Great Old Ones. They are not flesh and blood. Someday we will be as they were once. Free and wild Until then, we keep alive the memory. They will return to us. Is that so? Where'd you learn this? (laughs) I have seen many things. I have been to many places. Oh, I'm sure. I know things. Relia sink beneath the sea. And deep water is full of the mystery. But the memory, she never died. The black spirits of the earth whisper to
9: us from the deep, and our
4: High Priests say that the city will rise again when the stars are right. Your High Priest...
9: There are more of you out there? (laughs) Where? We are
4: everywhere. We are nowhere. That is not dead which can eternal lie, and with strange eons even death may die.
9: Poem? You tell me, (laughs) policeman. (laughs) Oh, you like poems, do you? Oh, what about this chant of yours, funny? Be careful what you speak.
4: What does it mean? It means, in his house.
9: And that's when he told me, some day this god of theirs would call. He said, when the stars were ready and the secret cult would always be waiting to liberate him. He said spells preserved the great old ones intact, but prevented them from making an initial move so they could only lie awake in the dark and think while millions of years rolled by. But I didn't get much more out of him. He cut himself off hurriedly, and not even my most enthusiastic interrogators could break him. Only two of the prisoners were found sane enough to be hanged. The rest were committed to various institutions. To a man, they denied a part in the ritual murders, saying the killing had been done by blacked, winged ones which had come from the wood. It was quite a mess. Gentlemen, I've searched far and wide for evidence of this cult. It doesn't seem to be mentioned in any book, at least not by name. Professor Webb. Sir. I must thank you. Your story is the first corroboration of it I have ever found. We must compare notes when you find a moment of leisure. Right now, I'm sure I've taken up enough of your time. Do enjoy the conference, gentlemen, and thank you kindly for the bourbon.
3: That's why Thurston's old uncle was fired up. Wilcox dreamed both the, the figure and exact hieroglyphics of the, uh, the swamp
2: idol image and the Greenland tupilak. Hang on a minute. The swamp stuff was strange. But maybe this artist kid knew about it somehow. It must have been in the papers. Maybe he, he was just having the professor on. Why would he? Well, how should I know? Look, what do you say we take a train ride to Providence and see this artist tomorrow? Find out what he knows.
3: Here it is, right across from the old church. The Florida de Lee building, huh?
2: Looks like the kind of place that would attract bohemians. This one should be a studio. Enter. Get a load of these paintings, Jack.
3: (laughs) Yeah, looks like the kid's got talent.
2: You call that talent? With lines and angles going every which way? Is that supposed to be a landscape or a plaid tablecloth? I think they call it modernism. I call it crazy.
3: Henry Wilcox! Are you in here? Wilcox! Over here, yes?
2: I'm Sergeant Hale. This is Detective Mallory. Boston police.
3: Yes. I'm working. What can I do for you? Well, you can start by telling us what you know about Professor George Angel. The archaeologist.
7: I heard he passed away. Poor man. Poor man? Why's that? He always seemed very afraid. Searching for something, but I never knew what.
2: So why didn't you ask him?
7: We talked of dreams, Sergeant. My dreams, as it happens, although I suspect he was secretly more concerned about his own. He was a man of science, of course, but scientists and artists have this much in common, at least. The great ones tend to frighten the ordinary man.
2: And you think you're a great artist, do you?
7: Painting is easy when you don't know how, Sergeant, but very difficult when you do.
3: Your work is quite uh, striking, Wilcox, I must admit. Seems uh, dreamlike to me. What is art, Detective, but dreams made manifest? Actually,
7: I shall forever owe Professor Angel a debt. Without him, I might not have found my path.
3: Hmm. This canvas here, for example, what is that supposed to be? Some kind of giant door? Very good, Detective. But then again, you
7: could say every painting is some kind of door.
2: Oh, brother, why can't you artists ever just paint a bowl of fruit or a pretty girl?
7: A subject that is beautiful in itself gives no suggestion to the artist. It lacks imperfection.
2: Why did you go to the professor in the first place, Wilcox? What was your angle?
7: My angle? <laughs> Funny you should put it that way.
2: Well, what were you trying to get out of him?
7: I thought he might be able to explain my dream images to me.
2: You expect us to believe that? What's to explain? It was just a dream.
7: I have always been amazed at the way an ordinary observer attaches so much more importance to waking events than to those occurring in dreams. Man is, above all, the plaything of his memory. All the things one has forgotten scream for help in dreams. They what?
3: Tell us about the cult. The cult? That's right, the... Uh, cut- yes, through- detective,
7: I know what you're talking about. Professor Angel was fixated on that as well. But as I told him, I know nothing about it. I have never been much interested in the doings of men, but I've been trying to get back to that city of dreams ever since.
5: Well, Mr.
3: Wilcox, I don't know whether to wish you good luck with that or not.
7: If that's all, Detective, I must get on with my work.
3: Sure. Sure. We can show ourselves up.
2: Could you believe that guy? Art is a dream. Art is a dog. Ah, art is a racket. That's what it is. And this kid's line is nothing but bunk. Now, now, Nick. The kid's weird, Jack. He knew more than he let on.
3: I'd say we still have more to learn from Professor Angel's files. You're in early. Already at it? Yeah, I've been thinking about this case. I I just can't quite put it together. Really, it was Thurston's case. He says he just wanted to understand what his uncle stumbled upon. I think there was some part of him that wanted the glory that would
2: go with shining a light on this strange ancient cult. But he didn't, right? I mean, no one knows about this whatever-it-is cult, do they? Do we even know it's a real thing? He believed it was real and, and, and believed someone killed his uncle over it.
3: Angel was making inquiries and asking too many questions.
2: And he gets done in by a Negro sailor. Come on, Jack. Listen to this. Thurston wrote, I think
3: he died because he knew too much, or because he was likely to learn too much. Now whether I shall go as he did remains to be seen, for I have learned much
2: now. (laughs) Prophetic. Paranoid. And so are you. Come on, we should hit the docks and start asking around about Negro merchant marines. You go. I'll stay and see what
3: else Mr. Thurston can tell us.
2: Don't believe everything you read. Right.
1: Part Three. The Madness from the Sea.
6: My inquiries had reached a dead end, and I tried to put it all behind me. But then, my eye fell upon a stray piece of shelf paper... It was the merest chance that I encountered it. It was the sort of thing the cutting bureau my uncle employed ought to have found. But I found it. Would to God I hadn't. I was visiting a friend, a mineralogist at a museum in Patterson, New Jersey. He had some reserve specimens in a back room and I looked them over idly as I was waiting for him. My eye was caught by an odd picture in one of the newspapers spread beneath the stones. It was the Sydney Bulletin from April 18, 1925, and it featured a half-tone photo of a hideous stone image almost identical with that which Legras had found in the swamp.
3: Holy moly!
6: The accompanying article chronicled events that took place among three ships on the other side of the world.
1: This is Harbormaster. Did not copy. Please repeat. Over.
8: This is HMS Vigilant. Have rescued a ship in distress, bringing it in tow to Darling Harbour. Over. Delirious. Dead. Backup. Over.
1: We have a berth for you, Vigilant. Do you require assistance? Over.
8: Negative, Master. We should be able to bring her in. Uh, We'll need some help for these men. Over.
1: Men, say again, please.
8: Crew, on the steam yacht. The alert out of Dunedin. Found her adrift. Thought she'd been abandoned. We boarded her and found two aboard. One man dead. The other one's in pretty bad shape. off his rocker. Over.
1: Understood vigilant. Bring the disabled vessel in. We'll get the survivor over to the hospital. I'll see if we can find out what happened. Over.
8: We found him on the bridge. Clutching the stone idol kind of thing. He's pretty shaken up.
1: He's right in here, sir. Thank you, Ness.
7: Mr. Johansson, this is Mr. Kincaid.
10: He'd like to talk to you. Are, are you up for a visit? Yes. If you need anything at all, I'll be right outside.
1: Thank you for seeing me. Mitchell Kincaid, Harbour Master here in Darling.
10: Gustav Johansson.
1: Feeling better? I came by to see you a few days ago, but, well, they treat me all right.
10: Fine, thank you.
1: Mr. Johansson, I need to file a report about the ship you came in on the alert. May I ask you a few simple questions?
10: Ask. You
1: were found on the bridge of the alert, but you were not a member of her crew?
10: I was second mate on the Emma, a schooner out of Auckland, sailing for Kalao. We took to sea February 20th, 11 men, big storm set in and... High winds took us, of course. Far south. There we found the alert. Abandoned? Abandoned? No. No, no, no.
4: Strong like Bulang Strong. And with as much brains. <laughs>
2: Is that Hawkins up there in the rigging? He must see something.
1: We're so far off course we won't see anything for days.
10: Captain, there's a ship. Twenty degrees off the port bow. Four nautical miles.
1: Out
6: here?
10: Parker, see if you can
6: raise them on the wireless. Aye, Captain. Give me the spyglass. She must see us. She's coming about. Looks like a steam yacht.
1: No response, sir. Keep trying.
10: Should have Hawkins send a signal. Aye. Coxon, set course for the vessel. Adjusting course, sir. Hawkins! Flash a contact signal to that ship! Aye,
6: sir! She stopped. They're signaling us.
10: What's the signal, Hawkins?
2: Turn back! Turn back? What you make of it, boys? We're off the course. The ship off the course, too. Yeah, but we're on the sail. They have steam. We should turn back. No business of ours.
6: Coxon, maintain course. Continue approach. Now the aim We're getting closer. Can you make out her crew? Looks like mostly darkies, canikers and half castes
10: Captain! They've signaled again! Turn back now!
6: Take the glass, you handsome. Have the men pull in sail. We'll approach. Hawkins!
10: Signal her that we're unarmed! Captain, looks like the ship's called the alert. She's got brass cannons. Lower the mainsail. Helmsman, set
6: course 270 and heave about his starboard side. Aye, Captain. Captain, I think they're
1: loading their weapons. Oh, sound the alarm, Johansson. Hawkins, fly our flag, surrender! Catch oh, him! Yalva's been
10: here!
6: Coxswain, bring us alongside her. Johansson, unlock the army. Okay. Every man, grab a weapon. Either we take the alert, or we go down with the Emma. Man-to-man lads, we
1: fight these devils. Give them hell, boys!
0: Through grappling line! (laughs) We (laughs) attack!
10: The Emma went down. They killed Captain Collins with a marlin spike. And the coxswain... They took his head clean off, and others too. Even when we took the ship, they would not surrender. We killed every last one of them. We had to.
1: Good havens.
10: Parker and Hawkins survived. Rodriguez, Guerrera, Ongstrom, and Bryden, as first mate command fell to me we followed the course the alert was on came to an island that wasn't on the shards we went ashore what happened? men
1: died what happened to them?
10: fell into rock chasm the, 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 the angles were wrong
1: sorry I don't follow you
10: Made it back to the ship. Bryden and me. Storm. Adrift.
1: Yes, but on the island... Sir,
10: please.
7: I think it would be good for Mr. Johansson to get his rest.
1: (sighs) Yes, yes. Well, the Admiralty will make a full inquiry. Thank you, Mr. Johansson. I wish you a speedy recovery from your ordeal.
6: Yes. What was the crew of the Alert doing out there with their idol? It wouldn't matter but for the dates. March 1st, there was an earthquake and the mongrel crew of the Alert put to sea. On the other side of the world, poets and artists began dreaming of a strange, dank city. Wilcox molded the form of the dreaded nightmare creature. March 23rd, the crew of the Emma landed on an unknown island where five sailors died. That same day, dreamers worldwide experienced terrifying visions of a vast monster. And Wilcox falls into a delirium. April 2nd, there's another storm. Dreams of the dank city cease. Wilcox awakes. It's exactly what Castro described. Great things that shape men's dreams and a faithful cult that worships them. Something terrible, cosmic in its scope, was unfolding around us. You poor devil. You're really getting sucked into this thing. I made arrangements and took a train to San Francisco and in less than a month was in Dunedin, in New Zealand, the home port of the Alert's crew. I visited the worst sorts of waterfront drinking establishments. So, you knew some of the crewmen of the Alert?
4: Aye. They was a secretive lot. Wouldn't hire a man unless they'd gone off to take some kind of black earth in the woods. In the woods? Stories of what them men done in the woods. Curl your blood. Less said, the better.
6: Like what? Was it some kind of cult?
4: That's the kind of question can get a man killed round these parts.
6: Go home, Yank. Before something happens to you. I sought out Johansson and learned he'd gone home to Oslo with his wife. I travelled to Australia and saw the alert in Sydney Harbour. The vessel which had seen such terrible sights had been refitted as a bland commercial ship and showed no sign of the cult that once piloted her. While in Sydney, I made an appointment at the Hyde Park Museum to see the idol that had been pried from Johansson's hands.
10: It's quite a special piece, this one. I'm surprised we haven't had others come to see it. Now, let's see here.
6: So, no one else has come inquiring about it?
10: Well, right after the Admiralty turned it over to us, Dr. Morrison analysed the rock. He's a geologist.
6: Did he turn up anything
10: interesting about it? Never could identify it says there's no other rock like it in the world. Here's the ugly little brute.
6: May I? It was the same terrible figure La found in the swamp, but rendered by another hand with exquisite workmanship from an unearthly material.
10: I think that's quite enough. I'll take that.
6: Though I tried, I could not let it go. I had to seek out the one man who might be able to explain what had happened. Johansson? He had seen it all. So I travelled from Sydney all the way to Oslo and made my way to Jesus. his home.
8: hjelpe deg?
6: Um I'm sorry, I I don't speak Norwegian. Do you speak English?
2: <laughs> Nå, no, no is so good. Uh,
6: I would like to speak to your husband, Gustav Johansson.
8: Min man dirt.
6: Dirt. Your husband's dead? Ja. Yeah. Oh. My God, I'm so sorry. What? How did he die?
8: No, not how to say. Times on sea broke Hans' heart.
6: Times on sea? In 1925? New Zealand? Yeah. Did your husband tell you what happened there?
8: He liked not to talk of it. Honrig in Dog Book, but Dog Book is English. Wrote?
6: This book. May I see it?
8: I show to you.
6: It was a slow conversation, but the kind Mrs. Johansson eventually let me have her husband's journal.
3: Oh my god, this is it. This is Johansson's journal, right here.
2: Hey, Nick! Looking for a sailor on the docks? I may as well have been looking for a lump of coal at a coal mine. Your victim give you anything? This. What? Another book? Jack. Johansson, he was
3: the sailor, the the survivor from the Emma, then the alert. He went there! He saw it!
2: Did he kill Thurston? No, of course not. Then let's get back on the case. This is
3: the case! There's a cult at work here. Something dark, subtle, ancient. Do you hear yourself? Listen to this.
6: Johansson's journal was a simple rambling thing. A sailor's effort at a post-facto diary and strove to recall day by day that last awful voyage. Johansson, thank God, only had one piece of the puzzle, even though he saw the city and the thing. But I shall never sleep calmly again when I think of the horrors that lurk ceaselessly behind life in time and in space, and of those unhallowed blasphemies from elder stars which dream beneath the sea, known and favored by a nightmare cult, ready and eager to loose them upon the world whenever another earthquake shall heave their monstrous stone city again to the sun and
2: air. Jack, our victim flipped his lid, and the sailor, and the artist, and the archaeologist, Next it'll be the detective. I'm after the truth here. And I'm after the guy who killed Francis Thurston. It's all to do with this creature. This is... Don't even say it! I don't like your tone, Sergeant. Yes, sir. I'm going to canvas the park. See if I can come up with anyone who saw something real, sir. Dismissed, Sergeant. Come on, Thurston.
6: What's really going on here? Johansson's journal repeated what he had told the harbormaster, though he was more explicit about the ferocity of the swarthy cult fiends on the alert. Once his men had overcome the cultists and taken control of the alert, Johansson assumed command.
10: After ordering the dead thrown overboard, my first command was to follow the course listed by these men in the ship's log.
1: Captain! Brydon and I found something. What is it, Parker? It's, it's like a shrine. But look inside. Some demon idol. Is it blood? Captain, we, I mean, the men don't like being on this ship. Its crew, they were... A cult. Devil worshippers.
10: This is the ship we have. We're lucky if there's another vessel within 500 leagues of here. Have Guerrero and Rodriguez scrub the blood off the deck. That should help.
1: Land ho! Eleven of blood. Land ho? What's he talking about? I'll check the charts, there's nothing out here. Hawkins has a keen eye.
10: Telegraph the engine room, Bryden. Five knots. I'm going out for a look.
1: Aye, aye, sir. Dead head, sir. Coming out of the water. It looks like a pillar or something. What do you think it is, sir? I don't. I think you have found a new island, Captain.
10: Look, there's more beyond it.
1: It's not an island. It's, it's a building. The city? No. Oh. Who could make such thing? It's hecho con las manos del diablo. We should turn back.
10: Could the earthquake have pushed it out from the sea, sir? How would I know? Slow course, Mr. Bryden. Bye, sir. Hawkins, seeing the size of life on it? No, sir! It looks all wet and slimy. I think it just came up from the sea. Watch the shore for a place where we can land the dinghy. Sure. You heard me! It is a terrible place, unlike anything I have ever seen. A bad dream brought up by the sea. Vast angles of huge stone, not of this earth. The men have fear, but are drawn to see it too. No one could have imagined such a place. We go ashore tomorrow.
5: Captain, looks like we might be able to go ashore there,
8: near those big steps. It's hard to port.
4: Uh, I Thanks,
8: Trump.
2: you rode too hard. Use your back, Rodriguez. Pull.
7: Thunder, but no wind, no rain. It's dead still.
1: <sighs> it's gonna be hard going, Bryden. The mud. Who's? should have stayed on the ship. It's reckless
7: coming to shore like this. I hope Johansson knows what he's doing.
10: Reckon the sea must have coughed it up, sir? Must have. Never seen nothing like it.
2: It's not a good place, a stink. Ooh, look at that tower. Is that the window up there?
10: Look up over there. Those look like some kind of sculptures or... It's a thing with wings.
2: I oh, don't like it.
10: Buck up, man. It's an adventure. Rodriguez, cast off the line and make it off. Steady, man. He's
4: uh, mud, but she is solid. I name you
10: this island, Ilha do Parisu. Some paradise. Come on, man. Let's see what this place is. <clears throat>
1: My god, Brighton. Who could imagine such a place? It's... wrong. Even the sun barely. Ah!
10: Careful. You are alright? Ah, yeah. Twisted my ankle. Where we go, Captain? Split up and have a look around. We'll meet up there where that angled rock sticks out. Sticks
2: out? It goes in?
1: No, it...
10: you're right. No,
1: well... This place is all wrong. Come on, Brighton. Let's see where this goes.
4: Vengo. No tan
10: rápido. Hawkins, Armstrong. let's see what's around that ledge.
1: Brydon, look at those carvings. You think that's some sort of writing? Maybe it's like those hieroglyphics in Egypt.
7: What do you think it says? Men didn't make this place. We should leave now.
4: Look at the thing! We see a sculpt
1: with wings! <clears throat> uh, it's ugly! Like a squid! And the bird! And, and the fish!
4: Who make this thing? John <clears throat> say. Come, we go up to the top!
8: <clears throat> These stone blocks!
2: Oh, too big for man! If you look at them, they go sideways.
10: But if you stare at them, they don't. It's like they're angled. Keep moving. I have a hunch we're getting closer to the center of this thing. Look, there.
2: Bryden and Parker.
1: Find anything? Sculptures? Maybe some writing? We should probably head back uh, before it gets dark. Seen Rodriguez and Guerrera? They started climbing, but... Here, who knows where they'd end up?
10: Rodrigues! Aqui. Aqui. That's him, let's go!
1: There he is, up there!
10: Oh my god! How he climb? Rodriguez, the Portuguese, climbed up, or perhaps across, the jam of what was like a great door. Guerrera was across, Or perhaps below it. The door was stone and on it was a carved relief of a thing like a squid or a dragon. Was it flat? Upright? Who could tell in this place? We went right up to the great door and Guerrera joined us.
2: You think it's a door? It's huge. Touch it. I'm not gonna touch it. I touch Is He's mock. Look.
1: Rodriguez made it to the top of it. I think. Shh. It's moving! <laughs> right, you all fear. It's moving!
10: Get back! No, he's right. It's moving. Rodriguez, come down! The door moved open in a way we could not understand. It left gaping blackness that we could almost feel. And seemed to actually burst forth like smoke, visibly darkening the sun as it slunk away into the shrunken sky on hideous flapping wings.
7: (coughs) (coughs) Oh, oh, the stench! There's something.
1: I don't hear it. Quiet! It's calling. Hawkins! It moves. It's coming. Run! Oh
10: it came. So huge, it could barely squeeze through the great opening. There are no words for a thing so terrible. Hawkins dropped dead at the sight. Others went mad in the moment. It was a mountain walked. It grabbed up Rodriguez, Guerrera and Ongstrom in a great claw. We ran. I, I saw Parker slide over a rock and he was swallowed by an angle that should not have been there. There are no words for such a thing. Was not in fact so far to the ship. We reached the alert. I took the helm, and Bryden stoked the engines. The sound, that impossible sound, told me it was in pursuit. Release the anchor, Bryden. Now. Gone, sir.
7: <sighs> made it. Oh got What was that thing? Ice front. don't look back, man. Oh, we're safe. Look,
10: it's a... It's in the war! It's coming after us! Come here, Slip! Give us more speed! Go below and open the devals as far as they'll go. We're gonna die. Pull yourself together, man. I'm going to bring us about. If we can't outrun it, we'll go straight at it. Here, man, take the wheel. Oh god, it's right in front of us! Get It raced up from the water. The alert was at full speed and us so close I could see every one of the feelers on its head as we went at it. The bowsprit went straight into it and then there was a kind of a burst. Sound and smells that there are no words for. We were overcome by a clot of green and drove straight through. I should have learned from Bryden, but I could not help myself. I had to look back. That thing somehow put itself together again. I leaned on the steam and never looked again. I did not navigate. I just drove us straight on, away from that place. Bryden was broken. He could only laugh or sometimes weep after it happened. April 2nd, there was another storm. I don't remember much beyond that. Perhaps I went mad too. The vigilant found us. They had food, water, and questions. I want to be home again so very far from that place. I tell my story to no one. Who could believe such a thing? Even this I have wrote in English, so my wife will not read it and think me mad. My death will be a boon if it could somehow blot out the memory of that voyage.
3: Poor devils.
2: They never had a chance. Jack! Jack! Do you hear me? I, I think I found our man, down under Pier 8. Let's go. Hale, listen. B- bring it. You can read it in the car. Listen to
3: this. He writes, I have all of the documents here in this box. I have looked upon all the universe has to hold of horror. I do not think my life will be long. They found my uncle. They found Johansen. The cult still lives,
2: you know. Maybe he's onto something after all.
6: The thing still lives too, I suppose. Again in that chasm of stone which has shielded him since the sun was young. His accursed city is sunken once more for the vigilance sailed over the spot after the April storm. But his ministers on earth still bellow and prance and slay around idle-capped monoliths in lonely places. He must have been trapped by the sinking whilst within his black abyss or else the world would by now be screaming with fright and frenzy. Who knows the end? What has risen may sink, and what has sunk may rise. Loathsomeness waits, and dreams in the deep, and decay spreads over the tottering cities of men. A time will come, but I must not and cannot think. But someone has to know. I cannot bear the notion that this dread secret shall die with me.
3: What did I tell you, Nick? It it was... Hurry, Jack, before it's too late. He's down under the pier? Come on! He must be a member of the cult. You you sure our man's down here, Nick? Oh,
0: yeah.
3: Maybe he can tell us more about... Nick? What are you doing?
2: How many times did I tell you not to say that name, Jack? Nick, put the knife down. It's not meant for people like you to say. Why couldn't you leave it alone? It's pathetic watching you try it. Piece it together. To understand. What do you mean? Thurston had the same stupid look on his face when I drove the knife in. You. I wonder if Lagras will be a surprised. Yes, we'll be paying him a visit too. At least they won't have to put on that ridiculous minstrel blackface. I never did care for burnt cork. Nick. It's all right, Jack. You won't need to worry about Thurston or his files anymore. Nick,
3: please.
2: His secrets will be safe with me.
1: been listening to H.P. Lovecraft's The Call of Cthulhu brought to you by our sponsor Forehand's Toothpaste Forehand's treats Your Teeth Right since it's made with Zithranite until next week this is Erskine Blackwell reminding you to never go anywhere alone if it looks bad don't look and save the last bullet for yourself
0: The Call of Cthulhu was adapted for radio and produced by Sean Branny and Andrew Lee. Original music by Troy Sterling Nielsen, The Dark Adventure Ensemble Fe- The Dark Adventure Ensemble Fe- Granny, Mark Colson, Dan Conroy, Mike Dallagher, Matt Foyer, Connie Laxell, Andrew Lehman, Barry Lynch, Erin Noble, David Paveo, Kevin Stidham, Josh Tempke, and Time Winters. Tune in next week for The Ghoul of Gettysburg, a thrilling Nate Ward adventure. Dark Adventure Radio Theater is a production of the HPLHS Broadcasting Group, a subsidiary of HPLHS Incorporated. Copyright 1931. Plus 81.